Let's pray. Heavenly Father, show us the true Jesus and draw out of us true faith in him that we might, in coming to know him, come to know you and enjoy fellowship with you as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about true faith in Jesus, true faith in the true Jesus. In 1982, a book was published called The Resurrection of Jesus, A Jewish Perspective. It was by an Orthodox Jew named Pincus Lapid. In that book, he wrote, In regard to the future resurrection of the dead, I am and remain a Pharisee, that is, a traditional rabbinic Jew who believes in the resurrection of the dead. He goes on, Concerning the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday, I was for decades a Sadducee, that is, a Jew who denied resurrection. I am no longer a Sadducee, since the following deliberation has caused me to think this through anew. Despite all the legendary embellishments, in the oldest records there remains a recognisable historical kernel which cannot simply be demythologised. When this scared, frightened band of the apostles who betrayed and denied their master and then failed him miserably, suddenly could be changed overnight into a confident mission society, convinced of salvation and able to work with much more success after Easter than before Easter, then no vision or hallucination is sufficient to explain such a revolutionary transformation. Something must have happened which we can designate as a historical event since its results were historical, although we are completely unable to comprehend the exact nature of the occurrence. Remarkable words, perhaps from a, an Orthodox Jew, but Lapid has been impressed and persuaded by the sudden emergence of the Apostles as a confident mission society and the need to explain how and why the Apostles came by their passionate conviction that Jesus was raised from the dead. And in this, Pincus Lapid is not alone. Many people have found exactly these deliberations and these considerations extremely persuasive, extremely uh, telling. But, having accepted the resurrection of Jesus as a historical event of some kind, does Lapid accept Jesus as the Christ? Well, not a bit of it. He says, I can accept neither the Messiahship of Jesus for the people of Israel, nor the Pauline interpretation of the resurrection of Jesus. He says, I am not striving for any kind of syncretism between Judaism and Christianity. That is, he's no Messianic Jew who has come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He remains an Orthodox Jew who says Jesus was not the Messiah. So, Lapid believes that in some important sense, Jesus rose from the dead. This was a historical event of some kind. And that, more than that, he says he's part of God's plan of salvation. But he doesn't believe that Jesus is God's beloved Son, the Word made flesh, the Saviour of the world. And I mention Lapid to illustrate the fact that it is possible to believe in Jesus in various ways. Uh, 
And these ways can be, in some ways, very good and kind of line up with exactly what the New Testament says about Jesus. But in other ways, they can fall short of that. They can be partial, inadequate, less than Christian. You can believe in Jesus in some ways, but not believe in Jesus in the way that Jesus himself calls for us to believe in him. And so this is the issue of true faith in the true Jesus. And this issue comes up throughout the Gospel of John, which our sermon series are tracking through. And we meet it in this story today of healing. Uh, Today, it's a lovely, really smooth story, but there's a couple of bits of grit in it, I think you would say, uh, mixed in to catch in our teeth and our clog up our shoes. So we're going to look at the story with the grit and then I'll reflect on what it might mean for us. So firstly, a lovely smooth story with grit mixed in. Imagine how simple this story would be if you deleted verses 44 and 48. Because if you deleted those verses, it would all make perfect sense and it would be great. Jesus arrives in Galilee to a warm welcome. Uh, The royal official comes to Jesus, desperate for the life of his child, and Jesus, um, when the official says, Sir, come down before my child dies, Jesus immediately says, Go, your son will live. And the servants meet the official en route home with the wonderful news that the boy is healed, just exactly when Jesus said, Your son will live. And there's belief in Jesus all round. And what a great little story that would be. And it would all kind of line up and say one thing very directly and clearly that Jesus is to be believed in, that he has power to heal. Um, however, there's a couple of verses there that are kind of like grit that catches in your teeth or sticks in your shoe. Uh, and these verses have to do with the way that Jesus is understood and believed in. So gritty verse number one is verse 44. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country. And, you know, people who read and reflect on this passage scratch their heads and think, how does this fit in? How is it that Jesus has no honour in his own country? Because, well, he's from Galilee. He's returning to his home country. And they seem pleased to see him and open to his mighty works. In fact, the royal official from Capernaum honours Jesus by seeking his aid in his distress. How is it that he has no honour? Still, Jesus is not convinced that his compatriots really do honour him truly for who he really is. They welcome him on account of all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover, we read. Now, uh, let's have a little flashback to chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. Uh, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was doing, that is the miraculous works, and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. So it does seem there's a way to welcome and believe in Jesus on the basis of the signs he does that doesn't perhaps really know him or receive him for who he really is. Verse 44 casts a little shadow on the welcome that Jesus gets from the Galileans, even though it seems so positive. The second gritty verse, number two, is verse 48. The royal official begged Jesus to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus says, 
Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. Now, a critic of Jesus might say, isn't that a bit insensitive? The man's son is at death's door. He's afraid. He's desperate. He's come to you, Jesus, and you talk like he's just pumping you for a miracle to prove himself, prove yourself to him. Is this really the right thing to say? The fact is that Jesus is often awkward at moments like this. Uh, We could cite a number of uh, other incidents, but here's, here's one. Mark 9, verses 17 to 19, where another father brings a boy. This boy is possessed by a spirit that robs him of speech. And uh, he has already spent a bit of time with the disciples. And he says, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus replies, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Again, before the father is comforted, and he is comforted, and the boy is healed, there's an awkward reference to the inadequacy of the faith of those around Jesus. In our passage in John, Jesus is critical of those who will not or who cannot believe in him without seeing signs and wonders. The comment is spoken to the royal official who comes with the request, but the plural, you people, suggests that the comment is not just for the royal official, but really for all those who are standing around expectantly, waiting to see if there will be a sign, if we can follow Jesus and see him do more of what he did in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus does perform signs and wonders. And John reports them in his gospel and they play a part in faith formation. It's not that Jesus says, these signs are rubbish, I shouldn't be doing them. They play their role. However, Jesus wants to qualify them in a couple of ways. Well, firstly, they they are not necessary to faith in Jesus. At the end of the gospel, Jesus famously says to Thomas, who has seen the risen Jesus, who has placed his hands in his pierced wrist, his fingers in his pierced wrist, he's seen the spear wound in his side. But Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Nor are signs and wonders sufficient to produce true faith. You can see Jesus do a miracle. You can believe that he did it. And you can yet be opposed to him. This is exactly what the Sanhedrin thought. The Sanhedrin acknowledged that Jesus did signs, but they thought they were a problem. They said, here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our temple and our nation. The signs are acknowledged, but belief is rejected. And they indeed plot to kill the worker of the signs. So, signs and wonders do not have a straightforward relationship to faith. Jesus wants people to believe in him, but not simply as a healer or a wonder worker or a prophet. Jesus wants people to believe in what he says about himself. That he is the beloved son of the Father, that he is the Messiah, the one who came from heaven, who is the saviour of the world. 
And this awkward bit of grit that Jesus puts in the story, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe, alerts us to Jesus' concern that people believe in him on the basis of his word, not see his miracle and form their own conclusions about who he must be, but listen as well and form your understanding of him on his teaching about himself, his word, his testimony to what is true. Now, as it happens, the royal official in the story displays exactly this kind of faith, exactly the kind of faith that Jesus wants and calls for. He says, come and heal my son. Come down before my son dies. Come to my house, be there, and heal him. Do something. Lay your hands on him. Pray for him. Anoint him. Heal him. But Jesus does not come. And nor does he seem to perform any kind of act of healing. He says no prayer. He makes no gesture. He goes through no ceremony. He gives no instructions to the man. Go and wash your son. Go and anoint your son. Jesus just gives a word of dismissal. Go. Your son will live. And the official at that point does not continue to beg or to ask for a prayer or instructions or say, how can I believe you? The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Literally, the man believed the word which Jesus spoke to him and departed. So the man doesn't believe upon seeing the sign. He believes upon the word of Jesus. The sign might confirm and deepen his faith, and it does, but he believed before he saw. True faith in Jesus is faith in the true Jesus. This is, I guess, the point I think we want to take away from this story. You can believe in Jesus in various ways. You can think, oh, he was an inspired teacher. He was a guru of some kind. You can think he was a miracle-working prophet. You can think he was a kind of stick-it-to-the-man, first-century alternative resistance hero. You can think he was a a figure offering unconditional love and affirmation to all and sundry. You can think he was the incarnation of a mighty spirit or an angel close to God. But if these ways of believing don't fully honour who Jesus really was, then they are not true and full and proper faith in who Jesus truly, fully and properly is. At best, they're partial and imperfect and incomplete. And at worst, they are actually dishonouring to Jesus as they don't take his word for who he is. So, we should ask ourselves, how do we form our beliefs about who Jesus is? Do we rely on some book from some well-known scholar recently published explaining Jesus in some up-to-date terms that we can accept? Or, through attending to what those who saw and heard Jesus have passed on about him, about what he said about himself, how he explained himself, is that how We form our view of who Jesus is. Is that the Jesus we believe in, the one we meet in the Gospels and the New Testament? Later in John, Jesus is going to say things like this. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. 
This is how he explained himself, at least part of it. Do we believe this? Is this the Jesus we put our faith in? If Jesus did some outstanding, wonderful miracle for you, something that turned your grief to joy, and you thanked and praised him and believed in him as a kind of saint, an angel, a prophet, one of the great and holy ones, if that's as far as your belief went, you would be selling Jesus short, even though you were grateful for the miracle and trusted in him as a result. Jesus wants you to know for who he is. The bread of life. The light of the world. The good shepherd. The resurrection and the life. And in knowing him in that, as that, to know his father, with whom he is one. True faith in the true Jesus, you see, is this... It's a saving, freeing, powerful thing. That Jesus becomes to us what he is. He becomes to us bread, light, a shepherd, life. So Jesus is fussy and he's awkward about our faith in him because he loves us. He came to give us himself, who he truly is. And for us to know and believe in the real Jesus is to receive the gift that he brings, the gift of eternal life. Pincus Lapid goes a long way with Jesus, doesn't he? According to my opinion, he says, the resurrection belongs to the category of the truly real and effective occurrences. That's a mighty confession. He accepts the sign of Jesus' resurrection. In fact, he accepts it without seeing it directly himself. He is persuaded by its effects in the world. But yet he does not take Jesus at his word for who he is. He doesn't believe Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. I exhort you to attend to Jesus' word, his word about himself, and believe what he says about himself, because then we will have true faith in the true Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the scriptures which have recorded for us the, the deeds, the life, spirit, the words of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that they would speak to us and we would meet Jesus, the true Jesus, in these pages and attend to his word and know him through what he says about himself and so that our belief in Jesus would be true faith because it is in truly who he is. We pray it in his name. Amen.